Hi, I'm Carly. And I'm Emily. And I'm Emma. And today we are going to discuss the connection between water and sexuality through the example of Aphrodite. In this podcast, we will be referring to Aphrodite and Venus as the Roman and Greek equivalent of each other. So we've selected three different stories of Aphrodite. The first is Hesiod's Theogony and Aphrodite's birth story. The second is the Homeric hymn and Aphrodite's love affair with Anchises. And then finally, we're talking about a modern example of the Venus razor commercial and connecting that with Aphrodite's story, both her birth and her love affair. So to begin, we'll be talking about the Theogony, which is a poem by Hesiod describing the origins of the Greek gods, and it's composed around 700 BC. Um, So to start with, there's the relationship between heaven and earth, and um, earth is the female, one of the original gods, goddesses, and she gives birth to heaven, and then they give birth to children. So one quote that I'd like to pick out is, um, she bore also the undraining sea and its furious swell, not in union of love, but then bedded with heaven, she bore deep swirling oceanus. And I think this is important because it's the first example we see of a goddess and water and their relationship. So what do you guys think this connection could mean? So I think it's really interesting that we have this relationship between um, water and sex in that um, Earth, who was a woman, gives birth, which is what has, you know, sexual connotations to the sea. So right away we see that this, that the water is sort of this, um, result of sex. So right away there's this relationship that's established between the two. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too when you look at pop culture today, um, you kind of think of the concept of a woman's water breaking as sort of like a violent like thrust into like birth, I guess. So it's like interesting to think in our modern society we can make connections to this right away. Yes, and the words furious and this like deep swirling, like there's these not peaceful, they're very violent words that are being used and it's in the connection with water and sexuality comes from this, which is a really good connection into Aphrodite's birth story. Um, so we have Kronos, the, the son of heaven. He cuts off the genitals of his father in this power struggle, and he flings the genitals into the surging sea. Again, another violent water description. And around the genitals, a white foam grows, and in it, a girl, Aphrodite, is formed. So she's born on wave-washed Cyprus, and she steps onto the ground, and grass grows all around her. And immediately, Aphrodite, in her birth story, is innately connected with water and sexuality. So here we see this violence, this water, and this goddess who then becomes known for sexuality and that connection there. Um, So there just is this, like, immediate connection between these, which we've discussed And so I'd like to bring in another contrasting example. Um, The Birth of Venus by Botticelli, um, painted in the mid-1480s. It depicts Venus arriving on the the shore after her birth. And she's naked and she's standing on a shell and there's no waves. The water is completely peaceful. And she's standing there and there's um, these goddesses and gods surrounding her and they're like trying to clothe her in this red cape. And it's very peaceful and calm, and there's just, like, happy expressions on their faces and just a very peaceful look, which contrasts what we've just described. Uh, So what do you think? So it's interesting that, you know, we look at something that was, you know, um, painted in the 1480s. So, you know, I would say 
you know, hundreds of years ago from today, and we look at these different points in history um, at these depictions of Aphrodite's birth, and they're still being explored. And so, and they're also very contrasting. Um, you know, we see Hesiod's story, um, which is this violent um, image of her birth, which Carly talked about. And then we see this beautiful painting, and you think, you know, why is there this disconnect? Why is there this um, difference between the two? And it's interesting how we want to, um, you know, make these this painting sort of glorified and um, completely change sort of the actual origin of her birth. And, and why do we do these things? Why do we take water and sexuality and either make it this, you know, beautiful thing or this violent thing? So there's this sort of difference between the two. Yeah, um, kind of going off of that, I think it's interesting in the painting, like the vis visual repu repetition of um, the the cloak is like a reddish pink, and you often think of red being like a symbol of sexuality, but it's also like meant to cover her up. So I find mm -hmm. that really fascinating. But then when you go back to the original story, she's kind of being formed from like blood and violence. So like making that connection with the color red and sort of overall like what what's that saying and sort of red being in our society today as like a sexual color and kind of connecting that back to yeah, the ocean. It's definitely a reflective of a time period. So in the Renaissance, they're covering women in paintings and like that time period is very modest. Therefore, this painting is going to be modest because that's how they're going to reflect it. But I think the ideas that they're still trying to portray, even if it is in a modest fashion, is the same idea. So instead of showing her sexuality in the violent waves that we've discussed, they choose this red pinkish cloak to put on her because the viewer will get the same idea but know that that's where that is coming from. Like the color red is blood, the color red is violence, the color red is also love and sexuality and sex. Like that's all so connected and the use of color here is really taking place of the imagery that yeah. we've been discussing. Especially with the contrast of the ocean being sort of a blue color yeah. and that also being representative of sexuality. It's very interesting to sort of keep finding these contrasts. Absolutely. So next we're going to move into sort of another story about Aphrodite um, from the Homeric Hymn. So this story moves past her birth and sort of goes into um, her falling in love with a mortal man. So the story starts off with Zeus trying to make Aphrodite fall in love with a mortal man, um, but Aphrodite, being a goddess, thinks that she'll never be able to do that. Um, but then she meets Anchises, um, who is immortal, and falls in love with him. And once she realizes that he's mortal, she lies and pretends that she is as well. Um, and of course, then she gets pregnant. Um, and once she gets pregnant, sort of everything changes. Because now that she's pregnant with a mortal's child, um, she is going to be punished and has to then go into hiding. Um, so the important part of the story that relates to water is where she goes into hiding. So she decides to go to Cyprus. Um, and just to give a little background on where Cyprus is and sort of um, what type of a, a place it is, it's a Mediterranean island um, off the coast of Turkey. It's a small island surrounded entirely um, by water. Um, mild winters, long, hot summers. Um, and so Aphrodite chose to go to Cyprus, um, which was surrounded by water, in order to seek refuge and peace and hiding uh, while she was pregnant. So that's sort of significant in that um, she saw water as a chance to have a new beginning or um, a place of solace while she was um, pregnant and about to give birth. 
Um, so I, I thought this passage was really interesting. Um, what I found most fascinating about it was sort of that idea that um, birth is something that should be hidden when it really like produces, of course, like everything that we need to survive. And um, she ends up birthing Aeneas in the story, and he ends up becoming a really important hero in classical antiquity. And that's it, it's just interesting that she has to go to an island and sort of water becomes like a refuge, but it's also still representing birth and sexuality. And sort of being pregnant is sort of like, I don't know, like an ugly concept here, whereas um, not being pregnant is something that's like celebrated, but sex, they still, like sex is still being celebrated. Yeah, water is very closely associated with Aphrodite. So it makes sense that if she's born of water and she is one with water and that's so close to her identity, it makes sense that she would want her child to also have that connotation and connection and association with water and um, the process of giving birth, which we earlier discussed with the water breaking. Like, it makes sense that water would be an integral part of her birth, her pregnancy and her giving birth. And then just to go off of that, um, her process of, of being born, which was through the water, um, I think she also sort of wants to mirror that with her own child. So she will then give birth, um, not necessarily in the water, but right near the water. And so that her child's birth is also associated with water, like hers was. So we get this sort of mirroring image and representation of both her and her child. Yeah, and I think this is interesting to look at our modern culture because when you um, see models, they're not typically pregnant, and it's sort of interesting to connect that back to like our modern society and how we relate to the classical world and the same sort of conceptions of sexuality that we have. Absolutely, because once she's pregnant, her story and sexuality is no longer glorified. Um, you know, and, and giving birth and getting pregnant is a, is a product of sex, but, but it's not glorified in any way. Um, and is, in fact, something that ne someone needs to be punished for. So we see this disconnect again with, with sex um, and, and her portrayal of her sexuality, and that once she's pregnant, she loses some of these images of, of sexuality and purity. Yeah, and sort of the idea that um, mortality versus immortality, mortality being more of, like, a masculine attribute and immortality being more of, like, a feminine attribute, and she sort of had to hide that. That kind of, like, adds another level to the whole story, I think. Okay, so moving on, um, sort of to go back to a more idea of um, fe female sexuality in water in modern culture, um, we decided to look up an advertisement of, of the Je uh, Gillette Venus commercial from 2000. I'm just going to play the clip sort of to give a little context of what these ads would sound like. Introducing Venus from Gillette, the first razor designed to make you feel like a goddess. Protective cushion surrounds three blades for the closest shave ever in just one stroke. So close, your skin stays smoother longer. And that's something all goddesses are entitled to. Now, individually sealed blades are easy to store, easy to change. Venus, reveal the goddess in you. Okay, so um, sort of looking at a specific example of one of these commercials, if you um, watch it, the woman's shaving, and she's coming out of the water, she's unzipping her... Um, bodysuit and sort of revealing her smooth skin everybody's kind of looking at her she's on a beach very much in a water mediterranean setting um this is kind of just giving the idea to, that in modern culture we use um sex as a tool and it's sort of a 
it's like a tactic for advertisements and kind of going back to the classical world and sexualizing the goddess and sexualizing water. It's just, um, I just found that interesting to be a connection to the ancient world. What do you guys think? Yeah, definitely the connection between like the perfect woman and water and how shaving you're getting rid of hair so therefore you are this perfect image and then this perfect woman is coming out of the water just as Aphrodite comes out of the water and this idealizing the woman of what she should be like and what she should act like and look like and just the perfect idea and that water is crucial in this um it's just an interesting point Absolutely. And I think that we see sort of over and over again these different images of a woman coming out of the water. And it all relates back to Aphrodite. Um, and it's all sort of the same idea that with um, with sex comes water, um, especially in, you know, Aphrodite, her coming out of the water was sort of this beautiful, pure um, image. Um, it's also interesting if you look at her, at her story about her and Anchises, you know, you would never see a Venus commercial of a pregnant woman, um, you know, on this island coming out of the water. That's some, that's not something that's portrayed um, in media today. So I think it's interesting how her birth story is what's used in order to make something um, sexual or um, enticing as opposed to her story of going into hiding when she was pregnant. So, you know, people today choose these specific things to use um, as opposed to other things, which is also interesting. Yeah, and just like the idea that sex and water sells in modern culture is really interesting because that was a razor commercial and that's not something typically you sexualize. Um, so I find that really interesting because if you go back to mythology, they're kind of using sex to sell mythology in a, in a, in a way, kind of a different yeah. way to relate to the everyday person. And I find that fascinating as a connection. Yeah, and the way the water crashes in the commercial, like you can hear it in the recording, the water crashing down. And so they're not choosing the peaceful, like water lapping up. It's that violent crash down. So it's very much the same idea of like this perfect woman coming out of this violent water and the crashing down, and she's, like, this perfect thing that's resulted from it. Uh, it's just, again, you see this imagery repeated over and over again throughout centuries because there is an idea there that's that's true and works, and there is really this connection there that no matter where you're from or when you're from, that connection still stands. Yeah, and Absolutely. I think this is a good way to kind of, like, start to conclude um, that water kind of, its motion is representative of like sexual emotion in a way and just like at its core and like you were saying like the water crashing that's kind of like sounds almost like a sexual sound I think like it's very much imagery sort of connecting um, humans to the natural worlds and yeah. kind of making connections there and a big thing that we've discussed is that water is necessary for people's survival like you need to drink water to survive these ancient cities were located on water because they needed water or they built aqueducts to bring the water in. Like, it is crucial and it is necessary. And in the same way, sex is necessary for humans to reproduce and for our species to survive. And it's very much necessary, so sexuality is necessary. And so there's this connection between these two things that need to happen. And so why not connect them together? Because both offer this like need to survive absolutely it's almost as if water and sexuality can then be connected through this one theme of survival which all humans um you know want and need 
Okay, that concludes our podcast. We hope you enjoyed. And thank you for listening.